I said, either I'm helping a friend out or I can tell my kids that I was the first guest on Greater Than an Athlete. So it's a win-win for me. We got to start over. Why? You said greater than an athlete. Damn it. Get the name right. Greater than athlete. athlete. There you go. Greater than. You got it? I have it. All right. On this episode of Greater Than Athlete, I talk with former D3 basketball player turned D1 double-digit scoring threat, Luke Smith. We'll talk through his journey from Sewanee to Belmont, his love-hate but mostly hate relationship with the NCAA, and the pressure of playing in a conference that only gets one bid to March Madness. We currently have no sponsors, so let's just dive right into the podcast. Welcome to Greater Than Athlete. I'm Tyler Scanlon, and today I'm joined by Luke Smith. Luke, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scan. Inaugural episode. Got to set the bar high. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, telling my girlfriend that either I'm going to tell my kids I was the first guest on Greater Than Athlete, or um, I helped a friend out. So either way, I'm winning. I like it there. I like how you're enunciating the name, so we, we, we sow the seeds deep with the audience. Yeah, absolutely. I think some people will get it wrong at the start, but we'll fix it. It's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll get through it. Yeah. So today we, we wanted to have you on as the inaugural guest. You actually have a, a pretty unique story being a guy that came from Division Three basketball and then progressing into transferring to Division One and becoming a double digit scorer. Uh, there's not a whole lot of guys that have made that progression and have, have been as successful as you've been. And it, it sounds strange because you're still in the middle of it, but I think it's definitely something cool to, to look at and to dive deeper into. So I think kind of going into that, we kind of have to start at the beginning. We have to go back to high school. Did a little digging, got, got the high school stats oh, out. Oh, goodness gracious. So you went to Knoxville Catholic, and your bio says you lettered four years in basketball. Yeah, I started um, every game of my high school basketball career except my first one. So I played football my freshman year. I was five, six. My dad told me I couldn't play if I didn't weigh 100 pounds. So I was 5'6", 105 pounds my freshman year, and I was the backup quarterback. And our starter, he ended up going and playing at Tennessee. His dad was the D coordinator there, and he dislocated his thumb one game. And every time he'd gotten hurt before that, they'd put in the, the, the running back or whoever, and they'd just run Wildcat. And then for some reason today, he wanted to put me in. And first possession, you know, three and out. I'm, I'm so nervous. Uh, second possession, they punt it to like our two yard line. And we're strictly shotgun. So we're, we're just read option, you know, gives, ISOs and stuff like that. But we decided to run a rollout on third down. And I swear every single person on the offensive line and the running back just missed their block. It was like in a longest yard, you know, where, where they just let everyone through because they hate them. It, it looked like that. <laughs> And it was an absolute jailbreak, and I just got cracked right under the chin, and my body goes limp in the video, and my head just smacks the turf. And I woke up in my bed the next day. Last football play I ever played. As soon as you started that story, I got instant Alex Moran vibes. <laughs> Little Blue Mountain State checks in. He's like, God, I really don't want to be out here. Being yeah. the backup is so nice. It really was, and I, I enjoyed football. It's just I would go back to basketball, and I'd be so out of shape, and because I was a quarterback, so you don't really do anything in practice. You know, you throw balls, you go to the sideline, drink some water, and 
I enjoyed it thoroughly. I played from second grade until my freshman year of high school, but um, I knew basketball was more of my calling. So I, I devoted a lot more time to that after my freshman year. But yeah, I started every game except my first one because I was coming back from football. And every year I would miss one practice because I would be going to see my mom's family at Christmas. And he told me, I can't start you, Luke, if you miss practice. So he'd sit me for like the first 30 seconds of the game and then check me back in. Still had to go though? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, my mom would not let, let me miss family time and it, it was okay. I didn't start five games out of my career. So, okay. So four year varsity letter winner, um, you were all state in 2017 prep extra first team, 2016, 2017, Mr. Basketball finalist. You also graduated top 10% of your class, which yeah, was no. included in the bio, kind of an odd flex 10%. Like you weren't the valedictorian. No, I absolutely wasn't the valedictorian, but I had to throw something academic on there. So I was reaching. I was okay. Reaching. All right. Respect. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it looks like you, you kind of had accolades. It, it, people recognized you for what you were doing on the court. So where, where was the disconnect? Why do you think that People, I mean, did, were, were you five? You weren't only five, six for your freshman year. Obviously, you grew a little bit into your body. But why Why do you think schools failed to see what obviously you're demonstrating now? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those things that I feel like I'm good at, you can't really measure or maybe see in just a few games. I feel like I have a fairly good basketball sense, and I can almost fit into any system if you give me enough time. But I also just didn't play with a high-level AAU program. So in the summers... I played with a great team and we went to places and people were watching. It's just, we weren't, we didn't play on the shoe tours or anything. So I just didn't get as much exposure that way. And then East Tennessee, honestly, before B Mays Elite got there, which is Bobby Mays, who used to play at Tennessee, his AAU program, it, East Tennessee was just under-recruited. I mean, Jordan Bowden, he's at, uh, he's in the G League now and he played at Tennessee for four years and was a starter for two or three of those he came out of high school with no offers and had to go to a prep school. So Tennessee was East Tennessee in specific is fairly under recruited for basketball and that's starting to change, but I just didn't look the part. And part of that, part of the fault of that was mine. I weighed 155 pounds and I knew that coaches would want to see me change my body and, you know, be bigger going into my senior year. And I just didn't devote enough time to the weight room. I was more worried about, you know, actually what I felt was getting better at basketball, which is spending time in the gym. Is that like a silent protest? Like saying, like, you know what? It's the, the skills will do the talking. Everybody wanted me to get in the weight room. Yeah. doesn't matter. I mean, I eventually did. I was just, a, I, I did it when I was at Sewanee and I ate like a madman and I put on 15, 20 pounds. I just decided to do it at the wrong time. Do I think it would have changed anything? Maybe. Um, but I just didn't get the traction that I wanted to with the schools that I wanted to. And so I ended up going to Swanee and I'm not saying that as Swanee was any consolation prize or that I wasn't excited to go there. I absolutely was. But growing up, you obviously have dreams and visions of playing division one basketball and going to the NCAA tournament. Did you take it personally when you weren't recruited? Like in, in your mindset, were you getting kind of ticked off during those summer tournaments, during AU tournaments when it's like, I'm looking at that guy over there and he's getting offered, but I'm as good as like, did you feel like that? Or did you, in your, in your mind, had you already kind of adapted to the fact like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm five, five, nine, five, ten, you know, a buck 60. I'm, I'm a division three player and I'm going to be a good one. No, I mean, I absolutely was pretty pissed off because even more so when I went to Sewanee, like I said, I, I was having fun. I was absolutely focused on winning a championship there. And I never, 
uh, when I went to Swanee, I planned on being there for four years and playing there for four years. But, you know, I'd sit down and watch, you know, whoever on TV and I'd be like, I can, I know I can play with those guys. Like I'm 100% sure that I can. And there was a sense that inside me where it was just kind of like, I'm never going to get that chance. And I cannot believe that I, I didn't. And luckily some things worked out the way they did. And I've actually got to play it, you know, an unbelievable mid-major program at Belmont. Yeah. So we'll kind of gloss over a little bit of what you did at Sewanee. You basically destroyed the conference. University of the South. Yeah. That's what they call it. Sewanee. You were the NABC All-South District. First team 2019 SAA tournament most valuable player. Scored 90 points over three games during that uh, tournament. And 18 of 24 from three-point land. Pretty much just cooked up the league, cooked up the conference. And then, like you said, some some changes happen, and I don't know how, how deep you want to dive into that right here, but lead leads you to transfer to Division One Belmont. Yeah, I mean, at Sewanee, it was two of the best years of my life. I mean, when you think about it, you're not getting any athletic scholarship at a D3 school. So people who go there and play sports, they are playing for the love of the game. Absolutely, that's all they're playing for because they're not getting anything extra. You're driving buses eight hours each way you're practicing we would practice seven to nine you either practice five to seven or seven to nine because you can't plan around classes and you have one gym so it was so much fun and so much fun to be around guys who just loved basketball and wanted to play and the 2018-2019 season where we won the conference championship was to the to date maybe my favorite year of basketball and it's a memory that three-game stretch, we play three in three days, and our whole team shot just lights out. We got hot at the right time. Like you said, I think yeah, I went 18 of 24 from three, and it was just one of those weekends and trips where everything was clicking, and it was one of the most fun times of my life for sure. Yeah, I mean, any game, any tournament where I averaged 30-plus points a game, you know, it was a lot of fun for me too, so I – I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that tournament was so fun. I had, a, what, 30 points a game, hit like six threes a game. I, and, I had a blast, and, and we won. Yeah, and people, people think because I'm at Belmont doing, you know, fairly well that that's how it was on a nightly basis. But you can go back and look at my box scores, and you'll see nights where I was one of eight from the floor, and I just got absolutely locked up by some guy that plays at Huntingdon or something, you know, and – there are a lot of good basketball players there and it, it gets a bad rap and people think that it's, you know, a slight step above high school, but there are some seriously, seriously talented guys and talented teams and talented coaches at the D3 level. So yeah, the, the conference tournament stats might be a little misleading in that sense. You did what you did at division three, ended up having an opportunity to transfer to division one. I want to talk about your mindset going from division three having that feeling like, oh, I could play with those guys in Division One. Now you're signed. Boom. You're ready to go. You're going to a Division One team. When is that first moment of either like, oh boy, like I really got to prove myself, and then the next moment of, oh, I can do this? Yeah, it's. I kind of felt the whole time that I was, the moment I stepped on campus, that I was trying to prove myself. And I think you would even testament to that, that I played extremely hard in practice, and I was trying to prove myself because it would be really easy for me to go in and have, start off horrible and everyone just say, well, you know, that makes sense. You know, he was a D3 guy. It doesn't really matter. He's not on scholarship this year. And, oh, it was a nice try. You know, it's not like it's going to make any headlines that Luke Smith was a bust. 
no one would have ever known or never heard of it. So it was really kind of internally, I motivated myself and I wanted to prove to you guys and to the coaches that I, I belong. So you ended up redshirting that first year due to some uh, NCAA uh, you know, decree, which we'll definitely dive into deeper yeah. later. But you redshirt and then this year you get your chance to play. I mean, the stats kind of speak for themselves here. Started in all 30 games, averaged almost 13 points a game, three assists, Ohio Valley Conference, all newcomer team. And let's go back to, I guess, the beginning of this year. So you had all the, that prep during the redshirt year. But what's, what's that first, first moment where it's either sink or swim for you? And, you know, we're, there's definitely had to have been some mixed emotions of like, can I do this? Can I do this? Yeah. And just being a human being in general, making that jump from Division three to Division one. So kind of talk about how, how that played in your mind. Yeah, I was extremely nervous for like, I'm a nervous guy. I get nervous before every game I play. Extremely nervous. And the weeks leading up to the DC tournament, I was just, I was nervous. Not because I didn't think I could do it or anything. It's because I I really, really wanted to play well for our team. And the only thing I'm thinking about is winning games. And we take eight people or nine people to DC. And, you know, you play Howard, which coming into the season, they were much more highly touted than they ended up being but they have a five-star recruit and then you got an a t- a10 team after that and originally we were going to play northeastern so i was extremely nervous but also ready at the same time because i knew that coach alexander had to play me because we had eight guys and regardless of how i'm playing he can't really take me out because we have four guards on the trip good old covid protocols yeah minimize exactly. the roster a little bit and it was kind of nice in that sense because i played with a little more freedom knowing that you know i wasn't on a short lease and i told myself i've never been so nervous before a game than that howard game and i told myself i was gonna shoot any shot that came to me and it was a extremely fun and unique experience that i will never forget for sure but like you said is yeah you have those doubts where you're like i'm not so sure so let's just get out there and do it and you know, there was ups and downs this season, but ultimately we we did what we wanted to do in the regular season and then we just fell a little short in the postseason. Yeah, and I, I think one of one of the things that comes to mind just for me in, in my personal life, I know when I was playing AAU, I found myself I, I played in the EYBL and I found myself a lot of times in situations where I'd be playing against guys that were t- top twenty, yeah. top ten players, and you get that it's it's imposter syndrome. And you look around and it's like Dude, there's no way I'm as good as these guys. There's no way I can play with them. And then the game goes on. You're like, I'm out here. Yeah. Our team's not down by 40. I haven't been dunked on seven times. But I mean, yeah, like you transferred in. I mean, you probably had a sense of, I mean, you were much more established in a pretty highly recruited grad transfer. I mean, it came down to, you know, you and Kerry Blackshear at uh, Florida, but um, yeah, you probably felt a little need to prove yourself as well. And, I think that's a good thing to feel. I think if you come in just kind of expecting things or not preparing for what can happen, you're going to be unprepared a lot of the time and you're going to slip and fall. Yeah. And then and it's just realizing I do belong. Yeah. That's the hardest part is, is when you step into a situation that the others around you deem is above what you're capable of. Once you finally settle into that, like, boom, like, oh, I do belong here. I am as good as these guys. And then the pressure kind of falls off your shoulders. But I want to go back to what you were saying about that Howard game. That Howard game was interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, you had 20 points that game. Yeah, I was not expecting 
that I'll say that. There you go. Sometimes your expectations, <laughs> yeah. it's, but then, but then you crushed it. You come out here and you really dominate. But during that game, basically the announcers committed what can only be described as just vicious assault. Instead of choosing to focus on like your basketball analysis and, and how you scored 20 points and really played a really thorough offensive game, uh, they described your underwhelming physical features, <laughs> the ones that kind of held you back from getting recruited in high school, apparently. They said, quote, you see this guy walking around campus and you're like, hmm, I wonder what sport he plays. He looks like an accountant, not an athlete. Later in the game, they said, quote, looks D3, plays D1. <laughs> and I got out of that game and I'm feeling so good. You know, I just played my first Division One game. I played well. We won. And I think the first text that I saw was from you and you were just clowning the announcers for how many times they mentioned the d3 to the d1 how i looked like an accountant and you know the looks like d3 plays like d1 i'm fairly certain that that was a coach alexander quote oh that's that's even worse yeah that's, it's killing your own soldiers right it, there. exactly and i friendly fire i never went back and watched that game but i probably had 20 people text me calling me the accountant and i was at the time i was like ah that's you know that's funny and then it just, the three games we played, it never ended. Those guys were just hounding me about, I, I got hit in the face. I remember this one. I got hit in the face in one of the games. And they said, what they say? You know, man, Smith looks shaken up. I bet he didn't take hits like that at the D3 level. I'm like, what does that even mean? The guy <laughs> that hit me was like 5'10". Like there's guys that were six six, you know, six eight at the D three level. I, I I think I've taken a hit once or twice, and it just got so blown out of proportion. And I think that that stereotype that you weren't physically ready or you physically weren't imposing. I think that at first it comes across as innocent, but then it comes across as just kind of lazy. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, is that really all you have to say about the kid? He just had twenty points, and as the tournament progressed, I think he averaged like twenty for the entire tournament. So he played well. And all they could talk about was you look like an accountant and you look D3 and plays D1. It's like, you know, I mean, what, what does look D1 even mean? Is it because he's not tall? Like it, it, you just get into, you go down such a rabbit hole there and it's like, it's, it became kind of overwhelming. And it's, I think more of that is just the fact that people don't know what to say because it's so rare. Yeah. I, I think even going off like the rare thing, every interview or article that was written this year about me, they would always ask me about Duncan Robinson. And I'm like, I'd say the same thing every time. Duncan Robinson, I am not Duncan Robinson. Well, not, you are, because yeah. you came from T3 to T1. Yeah, exactly. You're the exact same there, player. There is no difference between Duncan Robinson, who's 6'7", high release, long, you know, fairly athletic, that played at Michigan, and me. And I don't know, it was like there was no other comparison like you said because it was so rare so they would just kind of reach for that one and i mean i think that they were trying to do it because it's nice to put duncan robinson's name on a article because people more people will click than if they see luke smith yeah just slap duncan robinson on there <laughs> get that get the search engine optimization going get the google adwords in there and then if they just so happen to read about luke smith i mean that's great too but i mean duncan robinson luke smith it's all it's all, it's all the same at all yeah i mean that was one of the things where i think there's two there's it's a double-edged sword there because one it speaks to what you're doing because it's it's incredibly difficult going from division three to division one and then actually producing at the level you did where, where you were 
you know, g- good enough to be named an all league member. So that's, that's something in itself. But then it's the other side of it where it's like, people just can't let go of that stereotype of the yeah. division three nerd who like plays basketball in his free time. Well, I was top 10% in my class. Scaling, so top yeah, 10%. You, I should have known. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's easier to reach for that. And it kind of got, I thought, you know, kind of monotonous and redundant. And, you know, coach Alexander came up to me one day. He's like, you know, like one of these guys going to stop asking me about you playing at Sewanee. I was like, I want it to end just as much. I just want to be, you know, a Belmont basketball player and, you know, it, it get looked at like everyone else. I want, you know, I don't want it to look like it's this unbelievable and you couldn't believe that this kid could do this. It's like, like you said, I feel like I belong now and I feel like it should be established at this point to where I, we don't have to, you know, talk about that anymore, but it is what it is. All right. I like that. We won't talk about that anymore. <laughs> Which uh, that actually brings us to a short intermission to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by hashtag not NCA property. They didn't actually pay for that ad space, but we want to set the tone early and often that we support the cause. Hashtag not NCAA property, which brings us a nice little segue into our uh, next topic here. You were transferring from Division three to Division one, and you were forced to sit out a year in the same year. Prominently, Tate Martell transferred from Ohio State to Miami, citing a hardship waiver. Um, he was granted that eligibility immediately, and you were not. Do you want to kind of do, do talk about that as much as you can? Yeah, I mean, um, we wanted, I, I think we wanted a waiver because I I don't think, when I, when I first talked to Coach Alexander on my visit, he told me, you know, you'll have to sit out a year, and I thought, that'd be good. I need to get used to the speed, the the pace of play, the size, and work on my body and my game to where I feel like I'm comfortable. And then, you know, as the preseason went on, I felt comfortable enough, and I think the coaches felt comfortable enough to say, you know, we'd like to have you this year. And I was thinking, you know, if I don't have to sit, then I don't want to sit. So we filed for a waiver, and I thought that we would get it because, you know, I came up two divisions and I was not on scholarship that year. So it it was kind of a hassle because at the time I didn't know if I was going to be. So it was like, I might have to pay for three years of school instead of two. And, you know, the, the later that I saw, you know, I'd be waiting on mine and, you know, somebody would get there, somebody wouldn't get there, somebody would get there, somebody wouldn't get theirs. And it just looked so random. And so like, all right, let's close our eyes, reach in out of a bucket. This one's a yes. Okay, cool. Tate Partell can play. Well, let's reach in this one. You know, Luke can't play. And that was kind of the frustrating part. I just didn't see the, I I still don't, but they just passed the one-time transfer rule, obviously. But I just don't think that there was any actual science or requirements to get the waiver or not, which was kind of frustrating to me. But I guess hindsight, since you guys didn't, well, we didn't get to go to the NCAA tournament. It was, um, I guess, kind of a blessing in disguise, even though we didn't go this year either. So Appreciate I don't want to bring that. I don't want to bring up a sore subject. Yeah, but th- thanks, man. It's kind of a blessing that you, <laughs> you didn't have to miss out on that feeling it, of exactly. just getting screwed. I can't imagine how you felt after it. Obviously, you can you can address that yourself. But I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is not about me, anyways. <laughs> but I appreciate you yeah, thinking of me. Yeah. I, I, I'm okay. So I guess, I don't know. I think that a lot of the frustration that people have with the NCAA 
is how arbitrarily they make those decisions and they play judge and jury on things, but there's no rhyme or reason, you know? Um, it's okay if you want to delegate over these things, but you have to have a certain guidelines that you go by and things from like step one, two, three. I mean, you're right though. It seems like they just pick out of a hat or, um, who knows? I mean, maybe they were down at the, uh, the SAA tournament and they saw you score 30 points a game. And some guy was like, Hey, I'm a Murray state fan. And, uh, <laughs> that five ten, hundred sixty five pound monster down at Sewanee, we can't have him in the Ohio Valley conference. I mean, who knows? I like, think that option sounds much more likely. So it was probably that. I mean, put the tinfoil on. I mean, they were just like, hey, conspiracy theory, like Luke Smith might absolutely destroy the landscape of college basketball. I mean, yeah. I, and I think that the one-time transfer rule, I think it's it's been a long time overdue. And especially for a guy like you, that transferring up two divisions and you were in good academic standing, there's like... there there's certain things that as an athlete or as a student athlete, you should have the option to do. And if coaches are going to have the option to jump and get on that carousel whenever they want to, student athletes should have the right to do it. And I think that at the end of the day, you're really just seeking a degree. Yeah. I it's mean, not- I think like you said, the coach can leave anytime he wants to with absolutely no repercussions, but I don't think anyone, I think why people are so upset and so up in arms about it is it, because it just seems like kids are transferring for no reason. And we don't know all the reasons why kids are transferring, but I don't know the actual number, but there's got to be upwards of what, 1,500 now in the portal? Yeah, it's an astronomical number. Yeah, which is just, you know, insane. I think people grow, people don't like change. We know that. People do not enjoy change. So when college basketball is going to look so much different year to year to year because you can just leave, I think it upsets people, but I think it's, I think it's a good rule for players' freedom for sure. I'm more, you know, I would say I'm more aligned like old school in the sense that you know, I if I went somewhere, I would want to see it through, build something. And I mean, as I say that, I realize that I transferred, but <laughs> um, which is a little hip- hypocritical. But I think there's reasons for a lot of reasons why a kid would transfer. And I think that they should be able to do that for sure, at least once without having to sit out. Yeah. And especially if we're going to stick to this mantra that it's an amateur game and we're not going to compensate players monetarily, but we're going to compensate them in an education. Yeah. Players should be able to choose where they get their education and wherever they see that as the best option, then that's the best option. And it's like, you know, if, if, if a player has a massive disagreement with their coach, it's the same as somebody having a massive disagreement with their boss. Yeah. And if you if you and your boss and you hate each other and you're not on a long-term contract, you're going to go somewhere else. Exactly. Um, and I mean, every single one of the people in the transfer portal thinks they're doing what's best for themselves. And at the end of the day, that's all that you can ask for is you let a kid make his own decisions to see what is best for him. It's not anyone else's decisions. Maybe his parents are slightly involved, but at the end of the day, it's what he thinks is going to be best for him. And maybe he sees a better opportunity at a certain school to play professional ball. Maybe a certain school has a different major or a different path that he would like to you know, pursue. So I think it would be short-sighted to just think, well, 1,500 kids are in the portal because, you know, oh, they don't want to stick out the tough times and they don't want to. I mean, there's way more reasons than that. And it would be a little... Like I said, short-sighted to just think that kids are leaving because, you know, things got a little hard. That's what I see on Twitter every single day. Well, no, these kids don't want to 
you know, things got hard, so they just unleave. I mean, you, you weren't at the practice. You have no clue what these kids went through or what was going on in the program. So, I mean, it's kind of frustrating. But Every generation is convinced that the generation after them is so soft. <laughs> it's like, oh, these young kids, they're, they're not as tough as we were. Yeah, every single every generation single of all time thinks that. And the numbers you're seeing this year are over 1,500. I mean, it's it's banana land how many people are transferring. Yeah. This year also sucked for so many student-athletes. So can you blame them that they were in situations where many teams played 15, 16 yeah. games? They weren't allowed to hang out with their teammates in the locker room. There weren't students on campus. So they were dealt an absolutely abysmal situation. And, yeah, a lot of them feel like they want to transfer at the end of the year. That doesn't sound that crazy. Yeah, I can't wait to see what – you know, we get to complain about to, you know, our children and say that they're soft. Because I'm for sure going to say it, but I don't know what oh, it's going to it's the gonna right be. of passage. Yeah, you, exactly. have to, you have to demean the group younger <laughs> than you. It's like, you guys are so sharp and sharp. They would have like, never done this in my day and age. Unbelievable. So kind of going off of this year, you guys made some headlines for uh, being snubbed from both the NCAA and the NIT tournament. It's a sore, sore subject. Yeah, it still hurts a little. Led the country in regular season wins, 26. I think you guys were tied with probably Gonzaga. Gonzaga, I believe. Um, <laughs> so you really did about as, I mean, I guess you didn't win the conference championship, but you did about as much as you could winning 26 regular season games in, in a season where you couldn't really pick your non conference schedule. Can we uh, talk about that? I mean, give, it, give us your take as, as painful as it is. Yeah, it was. I knew we were, we had no chance of getting into the NCAA tournament. I accepted that because I didn't at the time really think that our resume deserved it. But I absolutely thought that we should have gotten in the NIT, especially because, you know, in a normal year, we have an automatic bid in the NIT because every regular season winner gets in regardless of what happens in the conference tournament. So they cut the field down to 16. And I mean, I was just so excited to play every single game on ESPN and try to play a Power 5 school because we didn't get to all year. And it was mainly frustrating because I think Coach Alexander said this a bunch in his interviews, but the committees and the NCAA said this year is going to be different. We're not just going to go off of Ken Palm and that. And then you look at it and if you look at the NIT field, it literally just goes in like a, in a row down Ken Palm and net. And our net and our Kempom were not good for a team that has 26 wins because we didn't really play a tough schedule. And then you drop a home game against Samford, and then you lose two on the road to Murray, or not, sorry, not Murray, Moorhead and EKU. And it just, like last year, I felt like we got hot at the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, we were, what, five and three to start in the conference and then rattle off however many in a row. And it just felt like we it felt like we couldn't lose. Like every game that we went out there, I felt like we were going to win. And then this year when we lost those two games, it just felt a little different. And we at the end of the day, though, we had control over whether we made the NCAA tournament. We just played not as good as Moorhead State and they they beat us and they were the better team that night such a noble response like so honorable of you i mean they what? just played they just played really well. i'm i was absolutely so so pissed off about the the nit and well i i have a i have a slight theory about that and i'll get the i'll get the conspiracy go ahead back out too many wins too many wins. i mean what does it look like i mean yeah. i think mississippi state got in at 15 and 16 or 16 and 15 
Yeah, but they, 26 win Belmont's like, hey, we want to keep this thing competitive. If we get those guys in here, <laughs> and I, I love to think that that is the reason why. And I'll, you know, maybe I'll change my thinking. I'll just think that yeah, we were too good to be in the NIT, and they just couldn't have that. We just would have ran through the field and spin zone, through. absolutely. Yeah, PR major, major spin zone. So next year, yep, Belmont, you guys were 26 and four last year. Return. All of your core guys, you have no graduating seniors. What's what's next? Because I think Belmont is on the cusp of kind of breaking through to where Wichita State, maybe Dayton, some of those some of those real high high tier mid majors have gone. I, I mean, what what are the goals next year? Is it is it just NCA tournament, or because here's the thing that you know for anybody listening, the Ohio Valley is a one bid league yeah. traditionally so your your super bowl the majority of the time is really that conference championship but now you guys are in a position where you bring in everybody back and you probably felt like you were the best team in the league this year even though you didn't necessarily win the championship so what what are the goals our goal is is definitely to go to the ncaa tournament and win games um that was our goal this year actually you know into the summer when we're at home you know zooming for team meetings, Coach Alexander said that. He said, I don't want our goal to be to make the NCAA tournament. I want our goal to be to win games and make it to the, you know, Sweet 16 and, you know, really go on one of those runs. And I truly believe that we could have done that last year and we're only going to get better coming into this year and we're going to get to play an out-of-conference uh, schedule. And I'm extremely, extremely excited for this upcoming year because – I think people are, you know, you look at it and you say, well, Belmont was 26 and four, so they're probably not hungry. You know, they probably are feeling good about how their season went last year. They returned everyone, you know, they're probably fat and happy. I can tell you from our lifts and from pickup, we are hungry and ready to go. And we have a mindset that I haven't seen in a lot of the guys on our team since I've been here. And it's extremely exciting. And I wish we could play. I wish we could play tomorrow. I, I'm I'm so ready to play. I'm tapping my foot because I'm excited to play big games against big teams and get a chance to prove ourselves on a national scale. Such a such a gritty answer. I can't tell you how excited I am to I'll play. I'll play anywhere, anytime. Just name the location. It's like those uh like those shirts we got for the NCAA tournament. Said any court, anytime. The extremely ugly ones. Remember from last year? Long sleeve, red. Um. It was for the for the conference tournament. Did I get one of those? Maybe you left before we got them, but we you should have. You I absolutely. Stopped. I think you wore it, Scanlon. The just, conference tournament. I was just thrown out like you know, Sunday night garbage. It was like, oh, well, we all were. Tournament's canceled. <laughs> Scanlon, get out of here. Um, <laughs> I know you couldn't be around the facility or anything this year. So I think that what you guys, the position that you're in, is so unique because just me personally, coming from my first three years in the Patriot League. Our goal always was conference championship, but nothing beyond that. And when I came to Belmont, that mentality kind of stuck. I was never thinking about winning games. It's you play everything for that conference championship. And I think it creates a serious amount of stress on a team because you feel like if you can't win the conference, your season means nothing because you're not getting in the tournament. Yeah. And you guys are a perfect example. 26 and four. You guys slip up really one game because a couple of the games you lost, you're seven foot center all league center wasn't playing yeah and it's one slip up and it's gone and i feel like 
I don't think people appreciate how much that weighs on the mentality of a like a mid-major basketball player. Just a one bid league. So so much pressure and especially, you know, if you're at the bottom of the league and you go to the conference tournament, you're like, well, if we win two games here, that's wonderful. You know, if we win our first round game, that's great. But at Belmont and, you know, Murray State, that's just like not the standard. So you go into that conference tournament thinking this is win or bust. And that's a blessing and a curse. You know, it's a blessing that we have that mentality, one, and blessing that people expect out of us because it means that we can do it and that we have done it before. But it's also at the same time like, and you're going to psych yourself out if you put that much pressure on yourself for one game. And I mean, like it's basketball. Anyone can win any game at any time. It's not football where if Alabama plays, who's a terrible team? Think of somebody. I don't want to be disrespectful to the teams in Nashville. I immediately thought of some of the local schools and I didn't want to. Sure. If Belmont played, or if, if Alabama, let's, let's say if Alabama played Tennessee Tech in football 100 times, they would beat them 100 times. It's disrespectful. But, it, but if you State. get, if you get Tennessee, <laughs> no, true. if you get Texas to play Abilene Christian in a game that you think, you know, they are going to win almost 100% of the time, you get what, you, what happened in the NCAA tournament. It's just basketball and football are so not alike in that. And it's, Thanks, because there's so much variance in basketball, but you know you got to win that last game. Are you about to ask me something serious? You just took a deep breath. No, I was just, I was just collecting my okay, thoughts. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So I'd like to play a little little game here. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna include a segment called "Love It or Lose It." Okay. And it's some coaches saying some things. Oh, I love this. Yeah, I know. I know you're a big cerebral guy. Get that. Yeah. It's that Division three mentality. Gritty, yeah. And smart. I want to be a coach. I cannot, I cannot wait to hear these. Top 10% of your class. <laughs> so Eagles head coach uh, Nick Sirianni says he played rock, paper, scissors, and trash-talked with draft prospects to gauge their competitiveness. What, what, what do you think on that? What was my two options? Love it or what? Love it or lose it? Lose it. Um... I, I'm an extremely competitive person. I could play you in 100 games of rock, paper, scissors right now, and I would not care about one of them. So, no, I don't think that it's a, it's a great gauge of a person's competitiveness to see. You know, I feel like people like that, like my brother. My brother takes everything so competitively. Like, we were playing golf the other day, and my man, like, sculled a chip over the, the green, and he's just taking hacks at the ground after. And I think that shows more of a, a lack of, you know, maybe control than... It does just sheer competitiveness. All right. There, there's the inner coach. And you <laughs> yeah. spin that around. It's like if a guy's losing his mind over rock, paper, scissors. He's got something wrong. Clearly lacks self-control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So we'll move on to the next one here. Love it or lose it. It's the Portland State basketball coach. I already saw it. So go ahead and read it. Read it, please. Claims that he drives around in his truck and has <laughs> removed or bought one without the air conditioning. So in the summer, it's ungodly hot. And in the winter, it is frigid. And he claims he does it to build mental toughness. Love it or lose it? Lose it. Absolutely. I, I saw that the other day on Twitter and I sent it to like five people. And when I first watched it, I went back and watched it. And I was like, you know, maybe he's got a smirk on his face. He's like messing with people. I mean, the guy was dead serious. And he also said he doesn't eat breakfast so he can go into the office hungry and hungry you know what what did he say he said he wants to be hungry when he gets to lunch it's like dude you can eat breakfast and still be hungry at lunch that's what billions of people in the world do every single day also 
it's a proven fact, like science, that you need to eat breakfast to mentally, you need to be full or have something in your body to be mentally prepared and, and able to like do normal things. So I absolutely did not enjoy his comments, but he's a head coach at a Division One program. So maybe he's got something going. One of those like, <laughs> remember the Titans, water makes oh, you yeah, make yeah. things when it's like, ah, well, there's a lot of scientific studies that would, <laughs> that would be on the contrary of that statement. I don't think that's accurate. He would have gotten arrested if he coached now. Oh, my God. Having guys do, like, bear crawls and, and up-downs until you just, like, bleed out of your eyeballs and be like, all right, whoever's coaching at T.C. Williams is going to be doing, like, yeah, what do you say? three to five months in jail. Water, water's for the week. Water's for washing blood off my uniform, something like that. He's just, you know whose favorite movie that is? Grayson Murphy. He quotes it almost every single day. Grayson. And that's probably the least shocking thing that you've heard today. Grayson Murphy plays like a guy who doesn't enjoy water, who like dr drinks his opponent's sweat instead of drinking water because it just he just wants to be as gritty as possible. I actually want to know how, do you you feel like you played hard, you know, when you played basketball. You felt like you played, you tried to do your best and you played hard. Yeah, I feel the same way. And then I, I go back and I'll watch film, and I will see him do things, and it just makes me look like I'm the laziest person on the court. I mean, like just oh, yeah. diving, running. He he does not get tired when he's on the court. He gets tired when he gets on the sideline and has to eat something or get like ice put on his head because he's so hot. But I, I just truly can't comprehend how someone plays so hard for so long. Guys like that make everyone else look bad. I, I agree. I'm completely. playing like, like like you're saying, like we're out there playing as hard as we can. And this guy is like like his skin is like turning like dark red because he's like so overheated. He comes to the sideline and he's laying down, like having a heat stroke, getting ice applied to his neck, getting like, you know, electrolytes dripped into his mouth because he can't even hold his own water bottle. And the coach is like, you guys aren't playing hard at all. Look at, look at Grayson Murphy. Yeah, it's like, they'll well, use him as an example. I'm like, he's just different. There's something wrong in his head. Something is not clicking upstairs and it just doesn't address that he's tired. And he's absolutely something else he he's a he's a hashtag winner as tom robinson would say hashtag winner all right well i feel like we've covered a lot of topics here today absolutely um a big part of this is kind of creating a platform for athletes current athletes former athletes um so i'm going to give you an opportunity here socials any anything you want to plug here get going i know you you're going to say you're not a socials guy but i don't give you that option anymore because social media is important let me think for a second gotta build that um, platform young fella what do i want to plug i want to plug this podcast i think that it, it is this episode wasn't as much of you know kind of the idea that you told me about which was giving athletes who are you know maybe being taken advantage of by the NCAA, a voice and a platform to talk on, which I think is, like we talked about, I think that's the coolest thing you could do. And I hope that people listen to this and I hope that you get the guests that you want to, but I think everyone should give this a listen. I, I absolutely would come, come back on anytime and I'll listen to every episode that you ever put out. So I encourage everyone else to do the same. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're giving a five-star review to the, the podcast that you're in. <laughs> again, again, plugging myself here. Plugging myself, plug the podcast. I'm doing something nice uh, for a friend, but, you know, maybe this just blows up, and I'm the first guest ever. Luke kind of spoke to what we're trying to do here. Um, the goal is to give, give a platform to athletes, let them, you know, talk about their incredible, awesome stories. And Luke, being the humble, modest guy he is, doesn't necessarily understand that he in himself is an anomaly being a guy who goes from division three to division one 
and then going through that situation with the NCAA not being able to play. So the story in itself is incredible. It was good to have you on here. I appreciate it, Scan. I'll come back on anytime. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Greater Than Athlete. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening platform is. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, at GreaterThanPod, for updates on upcoming guests and snippets of today's podcast. That's at G-R-E-A-T-E-R-T-H-A-N-P-O-D, at GreaterThanPod. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a review on whatever streaming service you use. If somehow you're still listening, thank you. Hope you tune in again for the next episode. Peace.